The Blind Men, The Elephant, and the CT Scanner. You're listening to Longwoods Radio, your healthcare source for ideas, new policies, and best practices. Six blind men of Hindustan, we are told, once went in search of that wonderful creature, the elephant. Or, perhaps there are only three blind men, in Han, China. Yet again, there were anywhere between three and eight, somewhere in the Middle East. In the Buddhist original, the number is unspecified. From there, however, the stories are similar. Each man encountered a different aspect of the elephant and drew a different inference as to its essential nature. One walked onto its side, concluding that an elephant is like a wall. Another, prodded by the tusk, declared that an elephant is like a spear. The chap hanging onto the tail was convinced that he had found a sort of rope, and so on. Asked for a description of the elephant, each firmly and confidently gave his opinion, solidly grounded in empirical experience and all radically different. In the Buddhist tale, then they begin to quarrel, shouting, Yes, it is. No, it's not. An elephant is not that. Yes, it is like that, and so on, until they came to blows over the matter. Brethren, the Raja, who in this version had presented the elephant, was delighted with the scene. Just so are these preachers and scholars holding various views blind and unseeing. In their ignorance, they are by nature quarrelsome, wrangling and disputatious, while maintaining reality and thus and thus. Then the exalted one rendered this meaning by uttering this verse of uplift. Oh, how they cling and wrangle, some who claim for preacher and monk the honored name. For quarreling, each to his view they cling, such folk see only one side of a thing. Rarely does an economist have a chance to offer a verse of uplift. Not to be missed, it may not come again. Disputes among scholars are not new, but the parable of the elephant suggests that the disagreements are rooted not so in much as errors of fact or arg and argument as in differences in perspective, in the angle from which the subject matter is approached. If so, then they will not be resolved through further collection of facts or refinement of arguments so long as the contrasting perspectives remain unchanged. What the scholars needed to grasp, figuratively, the elephant in its full elephantness was some means of integrating and reconciling individual observations. The CT scanner offers a natural analogy. That device records a set of two-dimensional images, each taken from a different point on a circle around the object being scanned. The trick is then to construct, using complex computational process, a three-dimensional representation of the scanned object that incorporates and is consistent with each of the two-dimensional visual slices. Finding a way to synthesize the individual perspectives was a crucial problem that the inventors of the CT scanner solved, and the students of the elephant did not. It is a matter of implicit procedure or mechanism. Simply laying the various two-dimensional images on top or beside one another would be no more informative than having the blind men expound their conclusions simultaneously or in some particular sequence or pattern. Aggregation is not synthesis. Healthcare policy is one response to a widely held conviction among students of healthcare. Comprehending the complex structures and processes that make up a healthcare system requires integrating perspectives from a number of disciplines and backgrounds, in and outside the academy. The journal provides a shared space, a watering hole, to shift the metaphor yet again, 
where each can bring observations and conclusions drawn from our, from our own individual perspectives and present them side by side. But contingency is not necessarily communication. It is at best an improved opportunity for communication. You can lead a horse to water, but can you make him think? As it happens, there is quite a bit known about the procedures and processes that promote the integration of differing intellectual perspectives. Both psychology and political science can contribute insights from experiment and experience, as indeed can a thoughtful conversation of small group behavior. The first and most critical step is recognition of mutual interdependence. External threats are particularly effective. Joe DiStefano from the Western, University of Western Ontario gives the example of the late Red Adair, the famous leader of a team specializing in putting out oil well fires. While they are sitting, around, sitting on the sand discussing how best to tackle a particular fire, the team members are, DiStefano says, textbook models of how illicit and synthesis synthesize differing points of view so as to maximize the value of their collective information. The incentives are strong. If they make a mistake, they will all go to kingdom come. The stakes are not quite so high in health services research, at least not for the researchers themselves, but the point is the same. Few of us will make the effort to understand another's perspective out of mere intellectual curiosity. Genuine interdisciplinary work requires that a group be, for whatever reason, collectively seized of a task or problem that defeats solution within the conceptual framework of a single discipline. If the members of a group can reach a point of recognizing that each possesses only a piece of the puzzle, the next step is to understand the reiteration and elaboration of one's own perspective is generally futile, if not actively counterproductive. Digging in, like the blind men in the tale, goes nowhere. Somehow, one has to learn to see the world from a different perspective, or several. This takes time and effort, and a fair amount of mutual respect, goodwill, and patience. You have to get inside the other's way of thinking and identify the basic assumptions, typically so basic as to be unspoken. But it can work if all involved want it to. Which brings us back to the incentives. The incentives governing the academic enter enterprise can be, from this perspective, quite perverse. The disciplines have evolved powerfully to discourage cross-border communication. Why would anyone waste time talking to people in the next department over? Those turkeys can't tell a spear from a rope. The proper focus of research should be the, on the shape and size of spears, their mechanical properties, their chemical composition. Abstract notions of elephantness, some alleged emergent properties arising from the combination of insights from different disciplines, are too fuzzy and ill-defined to be worth engaging at the time of a serious scholar. They do not fit into the conceptual categories that we are all particularly adept at manipulating, or respond to the research methods in which we are all we are experts and others typically are not. We have all spent a lot of time and effort acquiring certain types of specialized intellectual capital. These tools then dictate the way we see the world. So we do not shout at one another like the blind men, much less come to blows. Instead, we draw apart in separate departments, conferences, journals, with little cross-communication. The results of our studies can be published in prestigious journals like Spear, the Journal of Elephantology where papers are published only after review by peers who share the same narrow focus and pointed convictions. 
Otherwise, they would not be peers. And we cannot relax the standard of peer reviews, the guardians and enforcers of, dis enforcers of disciplinary conformity. Without them, how can we maintain intellectual rigor, identify, and identify excellence, and allocate research grants to the right people, people like us? What, in this context, might serve as an institutional analog to the CT scanner? a mechanism for synthesizing competing perspectives on complex realities. As it happens, we have a working example, apparently unique to Canada, in the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, CIAR. The genesis of the Institute's most recent research prog program, launched last September, illustrates the process. Economic models of human behavior typically incorporate jejun and implausible psychological assumptions chosen for computational convenience and justified by intradisciplinary convention. No psychologist would take them seriously for 30 seconds. A decade ago, George Akerlof pointed out that relatively minor changes in the direction of a greater realism would yield predictions that were not only richer, but also more consistent with sociologists' observations of an actual group behavior. Akerlof and John Helliwell are now leading a new CIAR program in social interactions, identity, and well-being, and are in the process of assembling a team of econom economists, sociologists, psychologists for a long-term, intensely collaborative enterprise to study the social detriments of individual well-being. The program's website is very encouraging. Economists have so far neglected to take into account this considerable body of empirical research in other social sciences, especially sociology and psychology, thereby limiting their analysis of well-being. This narrow focus has probably led to incorrect models of economic behavior and prescriptive policy. Amen. A health economist would wish only to expand the list of relevant disciplines and would delete the word probably. This writer can hardly claim to be a disinterested observer of the CIAR and its programs, but he can speak from a very direct personal experience about their transformative effects. Whatever else they did, the CIAR programs in their population health and in human development changed the way their participants viewed the world. We have seen the elephant. The members of the new program may set out to build better economic models. They may find that they have produced better economists, and sociologists and psychologists and intellectual hybrids like Kipling's armadillo who are comfortable in a wider range of environments. The new program, like previous ones, is an exciting venture full of promise, but it may be some time before we see the standard economics textbooks being rewritten by multidisciplinary teams, if in fact we ever do. The CT scanner was a breakthrough in imaging, where there was and is a strong demand for improved pictures. There is no similar demand for synthesis of intellectual perspectives. Disciplinary separation, specialization, and exclusivity have deep roots in the academy. As Yale political scientist Ted Marmer says, nothing that is regular is stupid. Such behavior may not lead to the advancement of learning, but it certainly leads to the advancement of the learner and of the discipline. Academic careers are made by publications in leading disciplinary journals like Spear and Rope, where methodologies are rigorous, highly technical, and difficult for outsiders to understand, rather than in a broad-based and widely accessible journals like Elephant. It is only partly a joke that the prestige of a paper is inversely proportional to the number of people who will or can read it.
When deans of faculties declare unapologetically that excellence is defined by and only by publications in the leading disciplinary journals, the message is clear enough in those early, to those early in their careers, stay in the groove. In this environment, embedding institutional mechanisms to support cross-disciplinary research is a dubious battle, uncertain of long-term success. There is no clear current there is no clear career track for hybrid scholars in single-discipline departments, so that recruitment is to a cross-disciplinary enterprise depends upon the random ac accident of particular individuals, well-established in their careers, somehow coming to the un to the understanding, coming to understand the limitations of a narrow disciplinary perspective, and having the intel intelligence and energy to break new ground. Akerlof and Helliwell, for example, are both outstanding scholars but they are also toward the end of their respective careers. They will undoubtedly inspire younger colleagues who will do an excellent and highly original work. But where will these hybrids fit in the standard university structure? CIAR programs, while typically long-term relative to other research projects, are nonetheless time-limited. This is precisely the challenge faced in the field of health services research and policy. Our community has come a l very long way in Canada. With the formation of the Canadian Association for Health Services and Policy Research and the launch of this new journal, and those who have done the heavy lifting are to be gratefully congratulated. We are developing the mechanisms for synthesis of perspectives, and the people who see the elephant as well as the rope. But the challenge remains of developing the institutionally embedded career tracks to keep the whole process going, to ensure a future. We are not there yet. Robert Evans is the Professor of Economics at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, B.C. This has been Longwoods Radio. Thanks for listening.